podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It slightly favours the right footer here, but Griffiths, having got the goal, goes again. Well, the next game is here in a matter of days. It's the Czech Republic in the opening game of Euro 2020. The manager, Steve Clark, and the players for months on end have been saying we're only focusing on the next game and whether that was Austria, Israel, the Faroes, Holland or Luxembourg. They're all done now. The next one to focus on is Czech Republic on Monday. And we had Luxembourg's our final warm-up game. And we're going to look back on that with Gordon Shea from the Tartan Scarf and Alba Matters' Andy Lane, who's making his Hamden Roar debut. Welcome to the Airwaves, Andy. Thanks for inviting me, Andy. Lovely to be here. Good to listen to your dulcet tones long enough. It's nice, <laughs> to, <laughs> nice to be a part of it. No, good to have you on. Uh, Gordon, welcome back again for the umpteenth time. You've uh, certainly earned your jersey and keeping it. Um, so, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll touch on the Luxembourg game. First of all, before we move on to a little feature uh, in the second half of the podcast, I think I, I was certainly surprised to see a team that strong take to the field against Luxembourg. I thought it would be pretty much second string players to safeguard against injury and to give people a chance to impress or some minutes. But Steve Clark mm. went pretty much all out. Andy, what did you make of that when the, the squad, uh, sorry, the lineup was announced? Yeah, I think. Um, similar to you, I was I was impressed, but then I looked in the bench and I was like, man, the, part of the and the thing that's really standing out, I guess, to, to a lot of us um, who pay close attention to the Scottish national team is the depth that we've got now. So, you know, the bench was um, was filled with talent. Basically, you just need to. I mean, obviously, Gilmore and Patterson are, are getting a lot of attention, and rightly so. But I, I guess in the, the starting lineup, what I took it as was that. I mean, we're all kind of concerned that KT and Robbo stay fit, ultimately, you know that. Um, but I think Clark's saying, you know, I really, he, he wants to like tighten those links that are forming, just give them as much game time as possible to get used to each other. That is what I took from it. Um, and certainly KT and Robbo are just looking fire at the moment. Like that left side is going to challenge absolutely anybody. So, yeah, that's kind of what I took from it. That they're, and Dykes and um, Adams, of course, linking up for the goal. So mm-hmm. it's just it's nice to see those partnerships, um, you know, becoming a bit more solid. Mm-hmm. Speaking of solid partnerships, Gordon, you got married at the weekend. Congratulations! <laughs> I uh, did, but, yes, thank yeah. you. That, that was that. You're a pro, man. That was that was a tremendous. <laughs> And uh, and you you I I, oh, I didn't get to see the game live. I only watched the sports scene highlights. I was working on uh, Sunday evening. Uh, and you had other things to attend to, of course, uh, given the gra- gravity of your weekend. Um, but you've caught up slightly. Your take on the game? Yeah, I think I would agree with you that it, it maybe was something of a surprise that we did go with such a strong starting eleven. I think we have to remember back to the context surrounding the Netherlands game. I'm sure Steve Clark, when he had planned this out in recent months, he would have envisaged going full strength against the Netherlands and then maybe making changes against Luxembourg. Obviously, the fact that we were missing six and seven players 
last week against the Netherlands probably changed that planning for sure and meant that we went more full strength against Luxembourg. But yeah, I'm very much with with Andy that it, it fills me with a lot of confidence that we went out and put out a really good performance again. Um, by all accounts and from what I've seen and the highlights I've seen and the clips that I was able to see, we certainly could have had far more than one <coughs> goal, which I think is yeah. good. Um, I think certainly the the team spirit within that group is so clear. I think obviously we'll come on to speaking about young Mr. Billy Gilmore, but the moment when um, when he got absolutely cleaned out, which was a, a horrendous challenge and really deserved. I mean, the referee had already given a red card in the game. It very much deserved a second one, but you instantly see a pack of Scotland players descending on that guy led by Grant Hanley, who could have ripped him in half <laughs> with his bare hands. And that protective spirit, that team spirit, that fills me with a lot of hope for what we're coming into in this next couple of weeks. Yeah, Andy, Dykes and Adams looked like they were enjoying playing up there alongside each other. They both mm. missed a decent number of chances. I I got the impression that, uh, sorry, that Shea Adams didn't really take some of his finishes seriously. Like he was trying like a couple of outlandish, exotic finishes rather than just doing the, the simple thing. Um, and Dykes, I think, just didn't really make the desired contact or the right direction with a few of them. Just happens. But he'd be in good form for the the last couple of months. So that's not too much of a worry. Would you yeah, like to see them... Sorry, sorry uh, would you like to see them uh, continue together? Oh, absolutely. I, th- I think they, they offer... Um, something so so unique, so different. The, the one caveat to that, I would say, is that, you know, when we beat the Czech Republic one out at home and Fraser was slipped in um, for the early goal, I think that was more like the kind of 3-4-1-1 type thing. So I don't know if we'll see that at times and it won't be appropriate to, to play the both of them up front. But what Dykes was obviously in good form at QPR at the end of last season, his athleticism, like, that they're both two guys who can run like all day and their 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 technique particularly she adams technique and you, you saw that in the pharaoh's goal if you wanted you, you know to pick out an example but you just see it in everything he does you know he's just i think you've said before gordon he's just like a, a premier league striker and you know i'm absolutely thrilled you know i, I think i was desperate to write an article when when we got him you know confirmed because it, it just kind of fell out of me because um i was so excited that we had a player that good, not just to play in his own up front, like Kenny Miller is, but mm. to play alongside someone with the athleticism and the, the kind of foil that Dykes gives you. So you saw it in the goal, you know, he bought the space, but I think people were saying it's, it's only Luxembourg, but like you covered in the last pod, like Luxembourg are kind of no mugs as the same goes. And I think like um, we were 1-0 up, creating good chances. I think we hit the post as well from a good header, excellent cross from from KT, I think it was. And then, of course, the, the sending off, which would have been 2-0 with 11 men. So, I mean, that's that's decent going, you know, in the first half against Luxembourg, who are, are no diddies. So, you know, that's that's really good going. The second half, yeah, I think you're right, Andy. The, the kind of maybe competitive edge was taken off with it just being a friendly, so many substitutions, things like that. So you're kind of looking for more um, than goals to indicate growth, you know, Um and I, but I think we got that with... Can I just say one thing? Is that all right? See, Ryan Fraser, his delivery is so good. And I've totally forgotten how good it is. It's just, I think, because he's not played much football this year. When he came on, just right foot, left foot, didn't matter. It was it was such a nuisance. And he's 
his delivery is just exemplary, man. You forget why he was a, a fantasy football legend, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> for so long. But yeah, that was really encouraging to see. I feel like Fraser is actually, we're not going to do a full preview of the Czech game here, but I feel like Fraser has become a bit of a, a forgotten man in the squad. Like when we're talking about forward partnerships, he's almost always the last one mentioned from what I see and hear anyway. I think that mm. it's Dykes and Adams and then Christy and Forrest seem to be mentioned before him quite a lot. I think Fraser is on a really good run of form with Scotland. They scored in a, three games in a row, I think, on the bounce for Scotland. And he contributes well. So I, I think that he's still in, with, despite the partnership seeming to be there naturally between Dykes and Adams. Fraser's maybe still in with a shout, Gordon. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Because as as Andy alluded to earlier there, that it was back in the Nations League at the tail end of last year, it was Lyndon Dykes and Ryan Fraser that were, were were picking up what looked like a very promising partnership, and they played off each other so well. And and you're right, Ryan Fraser. He does. He always gives you that level of unpredictability if you're a defender, because if he is playing kind of off a striker you just can't predict which wing he's going to pop up on because, as you said, he's ambidextrous to the extent that he can whip in across from the right wing or the left wing. But if I may just <laughs> say a little bit about my absolute all-time idol right now, the lovely Shea Adams, who I will continue to <laughs> continue to wax lyrical about, um, I think something that impressed me so much about him is that you look at the, the, the red card incident and that is an example of where Shea Adams had dropped deep. He picks up the ball just inside the, the Luxembourg half. He sort of has it on the half turn. And that reverse pass that he played for Lyndon Dykes to run onto was absolutely sensational. So there's a perfect example of where, yes, you're playing mm. with two strikers, but Shea Adams has that versatility where he can drop deep, he can go wide, he can make runs mm. into the channels. He can do basically everything, and the link-up play will work both ways. Even though obviously it was it was Dykes that set up Adams for the goal, that can go both ways. Um, and obviously now what we're talking about—that's four caps, only three starts, and he's got two goals and one assist. I mean, where does this guy stop? Uh, we'll move on hopefully to hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, let's talk about the man of the moment, Billy Gilmore. He's on everyone's lips, um, but. I'm not sure he'll be in the starting lineup against Czech Republic. There's a lot of clamour. Uh, sorry, not Ben, Andy. You're taking the place of Ben. Uh, there's a lot of clamour for uh, Gilmore to be in the starting lineup. It probably would be at the expense of Callum, uh, Callum McGregor. Is yeah. it time for Gilmore or not yet? Oh, man. Right. Well, you asked me to prepare something, this, and I, I found it so difficult because I'm a big fan of Callum Mac. But um, I think by the time this goes out, Andy, we might have done this already, so um, we've, got, we've got something that uh, Pat Nevins contributed to, he's lended his, 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 his vocals to, you know, mm -hmm. um, and we're really excited about it, but uh, obviously catching up on the phone, he was he was telling me things and I was trying to play it cool, you know, like, oh, aye, that's fine, I'm always hearing stories about the Champions League after party and stuff like that, <laughs> and uh, he was talking about wee Billy, as he knew him, and I think he shared this in radio and off the ball as well, but he was telling me, I was like, this is unreal. Like, it shows the character of this kid. Because um, he's not a kid, he's like, he's a man. But uh, <laughs> he, he was kind of, he shouted Pat over. He was like, Pat, come here. And then he's like, I got a selfie. And Pat was like, eh, eh, I, I should probably be asking you for a selfie. And then <laughs> apparently Peter, Peter Czech came in and obviously knew Pat from, you know, 
part time Chelsea icon and being around the place for so long. And Peter said, Oh, Pat, how you doing? And Billy apparently cut him off and was like, Whoa, 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 Peter, I'm speaking to Pat. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it just so happens that Peter's Czech, right? A Czech legend. But I was like, Man, I'll have more of that. He, he just seems to, I think I was listening to your previous podcast, and I think it may have been Andy in your previous one. Um, pointed out that his his character is massive, and like Lampard said that of him when he first broke on, he's he's wanting to go to the top. You know, I think one of the very first articles ever um, conducted with him was when he was sixteen or something like that. There was real hype about him, and he was like, "I want to be the best player in the world." So I th- I think his aspiration is like absolute sky high peak. And to answer your question about oh Cal Mack, which is so difficult, and I saw other people. Saying it should be Cal Mack with McGregor with um, Gilmore. I think we need to play Billy Gilmore. I think he's a incredible talent. Like he's he's holding his own. He's actually competing for places in the European Champions alongside an Italian internationalist, uh, maybe the best midfielder in the world currently, and um, Kovacic. And I think he's genuinely in there with a shout of starting games. You know, and getting minutes. Uh, and he's he's shown it in big big games. And the one thing I would say is that he's no phased. Like there's no fear in that boy at all. And the same with Patterson. Like it's very difficult as a young player to stick out when you're when you're just given like 20 minutes as Gilmore was. You know, obviously he wanted to be given 45, but he, he managed to stick out in those 20 minutes to the extent that people were going, he's quality. He he has to play. You know, he has to play. Um, and I would be one of them saying that he has to play. I think he's the future of our national side, and the sooner the better. If, if who cares about age? He's he's that good. He needs to play basically. Um, so I'm afraid, Cal Mack, I I'm I'm saying you're sitting this one out. <laughs> sitting on the bench. Gordon, where do you fit Gilmore in or out of this team? Yeah, I, I am. I'm, I'm feeling myself getting carried away on the hype train, I have to say. Um, uh, it, listening to Andy there, you know, so poetically making the case. And it's hard to disagree with a lot of it. I mean, this is a young man who, yes, has not played many minutes this season. But when you consider the number of experiences he's had, I mean, he's made Premier League debut. He's made FA Cup debut. He's made Champions League debut. He's made international debut. And there just doesn't seem to be a stage that he doesn't make his own and he doesn't look absolutely at home at as soon as he's got there. So the talent is unquestionable. And I think coming into a major final campaign is arguably, it is a unique experience and it is a different experience to your normal international break. Because usually if you're looking at an international team getting together, say on the Monday for a game on the Thursday, you're very much looking at how's their form, how's their fitness, how have they been playing in the last couple of weeks? Now, obviously none of these guys have been playing for their clubs for weeks because the season's finished. So you do kind of look then, I guess, if you're the Scotland manager, at what have they been doing in camp? What have they been doing in training? And what have they done in the friendlies? And certainly from what we've seen in the friendlies, the cameo that he had against Luxembourg, the little bit off the bench against the Dutch, he's very much impressed, very much so. So if he's doing that on the training pitch and he's outshining and outplaying someone like Cal McGregor in training there does come a point where you just think, why not? I mean, I have been coming around to the way of thinking recently that perhaps even by the end of this year, maybe even sooner, that our midfield three could very easily be McTominay, McGinn, Gilmore. And that's a really exciting place to be. So 
yeah, I, I, I'm in the, let's go for it. It'll be a laugh. Um, and, and also bear in mind, we've got five subs every game. So even if he's not starting, and I guess the same goes for Nathan Patterson as well, we have the scope to be, bring options off the bench with five subs. So I, th- I think Gilmore will play quite a lot of minutes at this Euros. And it just crossed my mind not too long ago. It probably was around the time when Gilmore was just coming back to, to fitness. And this, not too long ago, John McGinn was linked with Liverpool. Uh, mm. and, and never materialised but I think they were looking for a midfielder that could get involved in the high press and pulling a China shop sort of approach and uh, it did cross my mind well we if that did materialise our midfield three would be made up of Man U, Chelsea, Liverpool which is really quite frightening for, for quality isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's incredible can I just say in, in Patterson as well uh, I, I think he's very similar in kind of attitude and mindset in the sense of snatching these opportunities because when you look at what he's done over the last year for Rangers and he's he's had to play some of their biggest games in in the Europa League um, away from home then at home where he bursts through and he scores you know accurate finish Um, and you saw that again even in the well the old firm he broke into the box just like fear seems no obstacle for these boys you know it's Mm -hmm. just like I'm going to beat you because I've got the skill to beat you. And, mm. oh, there we go. Um, and uh, that's what Patterson brings. And I'm a big fan of Stephen O'Donnell. I think he exemplifies in many ways what Clark's done for us, you know. So I I think what it does for, for Cal Mack and O'Donnell is it raises the bar for them, as Gordon says, in training. And, like, thinking, oh, man, we've not just got young boys breathing down our necks. We've got real quality, you know. Um, so, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, totally. Um I don't think there's much else really we need to dwell on in the Luxembourg game. It, it, it did become, from from the highlights I saw and the, the chances we missed, it, it did become just a, a kind of international friendly that felt like it wasn't in the build-up to a major tournament. Maybe the red card probably uh, diluted it. I think that Clark probably would have preferred to play against 11 men, to be honest. Um, more match practice for that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, um, unless there's anything else you two feel the need to, to pounce on about Luxembourg now. All bases covered. Okay, right, well, we'll move on to the feature of the episode. Just something a bit fun to try and keep us going until the tournament starts. So for anyone out there who doesn't listen to the the Football Clichés podcast hosted by Adam Hurry, get on it. Very funny, very uh, observational, uh, good humour. I can't recommend it enough. And they have a a feature where Adam, the host, uh, will have his two guests on and one of the guests, normally a comedian or a musician or something like that, will, uh, a big football fan, will come on prepared with three obscure joys and three obscure frustrations or dislikes that they have about football. Uh, and we're not talking about the feeling when your team scores. Nothing is as uh, broad as that, but something that is you know, maybe quite unique and um, quite quirky. So we thought, okay, why not try and relate that to the Scottish national team? What are three things each that we dislike and love about the Scottish national team? So I've made my list, fellas. I hope you guys have too. We'll start from uh, clockwise on my screen. So that'll be with you, Mr. Shiach. Let's start with your first obscure joy of being a Scotland fan. So... This is a really great subject, um, and it's been a lot of fun thinking up different things to to throw in here. So the first one I would start with is just the, as as I'm sure I've discussed on the pod before, like I I, I have no real club affiliation in football. Um, I grew up in Edinburgh, Hearts were my local team, but 
as much as I went to a couple of games growing up, they never really latched onto me emotionally the same way that the Scotland team did. So for me, through my whole existence of growing up and into adulthood as a, as a football fan, the relevance I take to club football has always been through the prism of the Scotland national team. And it's just that that feeling of bursting with pride at seeing a Scottish player do something amazing at club level. That's just something I love. Or, or when you hear, when <laughs> you realise that fans, say down south, for example, are coming round to understanding why we feel a certain way about a player. So more recently, you know, it's been... Uh, Aston Villa fans raving about John McGinn and how a phenomenal player he is. It's when you see tweets from Arsenal fans demanding that Kieran Tierney becomes Arsenal captain. You know, it's it's Andy Robertson at Liverpool. It's a few years ago, it's Stephen Naismith scoring a hat-trick against Chelsea for Everton. You know, that's just something that I always absolutely love. So I, I've got lots of football shirts in the cupboard, probably far more than I, I should have. I mean, that's certainly what my <laughs> wife thinks. And I do have a lot of shirts. I've got Everton shirts, Liverpool shirts, Arsenal shirts because of the Scotland players that play for them. So that, that's my first one. I suppose it's like seeing your, your firstborn or one of your children graduate from primary school to high school uh, and seeing them just really fit in and everyone loves them. They're popular. You know, life's a breeze. Yeah. yeah. Make new friends. Yeah. <laughs> aye, aye. It's, that, it's that warmth inside, isn't it? It's yeah. like, oh, McFadden's goal, you know, when Naismith assisted them and it was the most important goal and he flicked it over the boy's foot and mm. rifled it in you're like yes well I'm I, <laughs> <laughs> no I'm totally totally on board with you and I think as well that there, there's a a satisfaction with seeing Scottish players go down south and perform well it's different I think from the romanticism that comes from, from seeing a Scotland player go abroad and play well two entirely separate issues for me yeah I would I would certainly agree with that you're right because, because I, th- I think maybe it's just that <laughs> that inbuilt small man syndrome that I think every Scottish person <laughs> is built with the fact that you know we know that England think that we're humpty and it's a it's a pub league and their nans could score up here so when one of ours goes down there and shows them what we're all about we're like yeah go on show them <laughs> um but you know I, I've, I've even found it extends to uh to pundits and commentators you know I mean the fact that all of you, the UK now seems to love Ali McCoist on co-commentary as much as we do up in Scotland. Again, I take a perverse sense of pride in that and he can't be my child because he's older than me. You're saying that Stephen Naismith sent me a shout, Gordon, is that what you're saying? But not no, Ali McCoist. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, that's a, a very good one to bring to the table, first of all. Andy, what's your first obscure joy of being a Scotland fan? I, similarly, I find this difficult. It was a lot of fun, but um, so right, my my first obscure joy is the Stephen slash Darren Fletcher chant. It's the greatest <laughs> chant ever, and I think I should bring it back. Uh, so I I went in a wee a wee exploration in my mind, like a wee thought experiment, and there's one of the best YouTube videos. Like that, I don't know if you guys do this or if it's just me, but I'll, like I'll, I'll type stuff in late at night, and I'll be like like Scotland anthem or something like that do you know what I mean and I'll just like watch all these videos I've watched a million times before <laughs> like, can't wait to be back down but one of them that always pops up is this is the uh, Tartan Army away at, at Poland and I've not been away with the Tartan Army I've I was there ed- education were you there? Was, you can see me in that video oh Gordon that's wonderful <laughs> I knew the one of you would have been there that's brilliant so it's one of my great aspirations, you know, like I've been in full-time education now for over a decade and I've not been able to do it 
but now my kids are at the age where I can take them away. So I've been speaking to several people about how to do that. I'll catch up with you, Andy and Gordon. You can tell me how to do that. <laughs> but you know, the Stephen Darren Fletcher chat chant away at Poland. If you've not seen that video, you need to watch it. It's absolutely hilarious. And it's everything that you just think. That's why people love the Tarn Army. Like it's it's not just having a good time. It is just having a good time. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? But it's like we drew two each and actually we played quite well in that game. And oh, maybe yeah. you might have been disappointed about not getting the result. But the fact that we're able to come away and do that, it's like I just I just love the atmosphere. And um I mean no pressure on, on Billy Gilmore's wee brother, but see if he makes it, then we've got <laughs> Billy. Two syllables, Hardy. Two syllables, Gilmore. <laughs> two syllables. So, you know, no pressure, wee man. But uh, I don't think Stephen McGinn's getting in anytime soon. So no. we, need to, <laughs> we need to we need to do that. Uh, th- there, there are a few funny chants that get sung around the the hand, uh, well, Hamden or on away days. Uh, th- this isn't one of the ones I'm bringing to the table, but just while we're on the, the song topic, Doa dear, what are your thoughts? Because I think that that's an opinion splitter. I think it's a generational thing. Can I say it? I don't know what you think, Gordon, but I think for those of us who remember Kevin Gallagher scoring against Austria, it was like tied into that in my young mind. Like I was, what, 14 then? 15? And my brother was coming in from all the games. I wasn't quite going with him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why do they sing Do a Deer? And he's like, oh, it's because, you know, beat Austria. So I don't know where it came from. Do, do you guys know the origins story of that? Uh, or how uh, long this been? I'm I'm pretty sure now. I I don't know if this has just become myth, but I'm pretty sure there was an away game in Austria, and by it was time, Austria then. I the local media or the local paper or something basically did a story about how Scotland are coming to town and the Tartan Army are famous and they're famous for singing all the way through the game. So tonight at the game, the Austria fans will hear the sound of music, and somehow that got ah. back to the Scotland fans and they decided, right, well, if you want to hear the sound of music, we'll give you the bloody sound of music. And they sang Do A Deer all night. <laughs> now, I don't know if that's just a sort of retconned kind of <laughs> origin get story, that Get that but... submitted to Nutmeg, Gordon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's interesting. I Personally, I really quite like that one because if you're, depending on where you're sitting at Hamden and where the song starts, it kind of creeps mm. around the stadium like a, like a Mexican wave. And then by the time it reaches you and it gets to the that will bring us back, and then everyone suddenly, kind of, yeah, yeah. It gets involved. That's uh, that's right. a, it's a favourite of mine. Yeah. Um. Right, okay. Uh, my first love, or not my first, as in chronologically, but the first one I've put on the list here. It, it's not as vague as the walk to Hamden, which is always fun. Um, just a short walk from the train station to the stadium, but the the hearts, uh, sorry, the hats, scarves, and flags shout. Uh, makes me laugh. <laughs> yeah, because they're always the same voice. Yeah, Somehow. yeah. They're always and different people. It always, always the follows voice. the same pattern. They they roar the first two, and the the flags is almost a whisper. It's like get your hats, scarves, and flags, and it always just ends, <laughs> ends like that. And you'll pass, you'll pass maybe three or so uh, walking down Mount Florida towards the stadium. And they just do not give in, those guys. Now, you have to absolutely credit the, the graph that goes into that. Um, yeah, but it's absurdly consistent. And you make the point, Gordon, that it's that they're all different guys. They all follow yeah. the exact same structure of that 
of that show. Ah, it's so it's ah, so flags. And it, it's I think just, it was like a college course or something. You can go on and do it. Like, okay. it's like it's like it's like Glengarry Glen Ross for uh, yeah. for flags sellers. <laughs> always be closing. Always be shouting. <laughs> but that's it's a. Uh, it's just something that makes me chuckle every every single time on the walk to the to the stadium. Um, it, it's not like a I don't think it's really a nostalgia thing or whatever because it's not like a mm. particularly associated with being a, a young teenager or whatever. It's just something that brings a smile to my face every time. It's kind of it's a comfort, you know. Like we're you know home. We're, yeah, we're on our way to the home. game. Yeah, yeah, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, okay, I think uh, we'll move on to your second one now, Gordon. Your second obscure love of being a Scotland fan. So. My second for sure, love. You know, I'm I'm going to go with something sort of leading on to what you just said there about the hats, flags, and scarves getting to Hamden, and it's something that I always associate with going to Hamden, because you know I don't really because like I said, I'm not I'm not a club football fan, so I, I don't I'm not really going to football games every weekend. So going to Hamden is always a sort of a real treat. It's a real every now and again thing that we're at a game. So something I do always associate that with that is getting a Bovril, and. I don't know about you, because it's always been so long in between each time I get a Bovril, I don't think I've ever drunk one without burning my tongue on it. <laughs> Every single time I, I get so excited about it, I'm like, oh, I'm so I'm so keen to get, have a Bovril because I've not had one for so long. Take a big first sip, burn the, burn the shit out of my tongue, and then have to like really gently sip it the whole rest of the time. <laughs> and then, so I've always associated that. And again, that like you said, it's a, it's a comfort thing that you know you're there, you know you're home, because that's that feeling of having your tongue burnt to bu- burnt to hell. <laughs> no, I think that maybe one of the the benefits of the Hamden kiosk. I don't know about you two. I'm thoroughly unimpressed by the food at the Scotland Games. I think the chips are dreadful. Oh man! Well, I've come on to one of the one of my dislikes comes into that. But anyway, right, okay. I, you can go. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's not great. So the Bovril ice, it's a staple, Gordon. It is, yeah, it is, yeah, absolutely. Um, and but also, I think much better. At an evening game, than a, mm. than a daytime sunshine. Yeah, yeah. I'm Especially totally with you, by the way. Yeah, Gordon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not like uh, backing out of this one. I think everybody has burnt their tongue in a bovril. I think that's the only way bovril can be drank. Actually, I'm not well, sure. Well, that's the thing. Drank you you would way, think like. that, given how many years I've been doing it, you would think I would learn, but you would you would be wrong. <laughs> yes, Andy, hit us with your second obscure joy of being a Scotland mm-hmm. supporter. I've got another one that's very similar to Gordon's, but I think just off the off the back of that one, I'll, I'll jump to to this other one. Um, again, it's something that just makes me feel at home. Um, so for, throughout the, the last qualification campaign, of sitting next to me, and my mate Davey, were sitting in the West End. Um, you know, everybody gets their allocated tickets for the sit for the duration of the campaign. So this guy became like a comedy hero throughout the every game, and it, it wasn't like. It wasn't what he was saying. I don't know if you've heard a mate like that in school who was just funny. Like, oh, it yeah. just made you laugh. And it's just the way he said it. Like, and you could just see the, the boys around us, like, their shoulders going and just getting a chuckle. And, stuff. <laughs> and it was it was all real classics, but there was one that was like, uh, it's not worth it. It's just, there must have been a, a lines, lines person who was followed with challenge or whatever. And he's like, yeah, I hear it. You know, he's referee, and it's like it's all the stuff you've heard before. Do you know what I mean? It's like crap, but brilliant pattern. You know, class, like, the, cla- the class, cl- the class clown of your section. Oh, mate, honestly. And when I was teaching in mainstream, right, I remember that P7, this boy who was just like that, right, just the class clown, 
and he would just get everyone's shoulders going all the time. I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't get him into trouble because he was just so lovable. Like, so it was kind of that kind of thing. And there's one thing I, I, I can I swear in this, Andy? Or, oh, or yeah, I crack on. That's fine. Yeah, we're not regulated. Just some boy going. Uh, but it was same guy, right? But it's, it was an Israel game, and I think it was Eli Dasa who we got to know well was in the wing, and he dived right, classic dive. And this guy just stood up, fucking. And then lost his train of thought and just, boo! And then boo! And like, I think the tape was like raging at a sky, but also laughing at this yeah. guy. Was, oh, it was mad. It was magic. It's just something that was emblematic of what it is to be at a Scotland. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, no, was, I totally. it was wonderful. But at least it's different to the classroom where you don't have to hold your laughing. You can just let it all out. Aye. It's not like you're sitting there trying to keep your lips pursed. <laughs> it's just about a shoulder going that just yeah. makes you laugh. You know, it's like a bug getting pursed. It's so funny. <laughs> no, totally. And it is good when you become familiar with people. I remember my, my friend uh, Kieran saying that he was, uh, I think it was Kieran, uh, a couple of mates that are Celtic season ticket holders, but I think they sat next to a guy for the full season at Parkhead and became pals, obviously spoke every weekend, but just did, never traded names. He never knew his name. They just became so familiar with the sight of each other, um, enjoyed each other's company on match days, but that was the only time they saw each other every two weeks at Celtic Park and they just never swapped names, never got around to it. <laughs> it's weird how you do that. There was a there was a, an old boy and his son in front of us, in front of me and Davey, and we similarly said, How you doing? You alright? And chatted to them at half time but never never traded yeah. names. Yeah. Weird thing. So if you're listening, those, those, <laughs> or even that <laughs> that class clown in the West Stand he was uh, yeah, very funny. I'm going to move on to my second love of being a Scotland fan now. And I, I hope that this one isn't too broad or vague because I suppose it could apply to being a club uh, or for, for a, a joy of being a club supporter too. But I get immense satisfaction of trying to win the World Cup on FIFA with Scotland. <laughs> it almost feels real. Uh, I, I actually did it. I made it a, an ambition of mine last summer. Uh, I lived with... Gordon, you know Lewis uh, that was on the podcast recently. Andy, you might have heard him, Lewis. I lived with him for a couple of years. Yep. We made it an ambition uh, to win, uh, playing both in, as Scotland to win the World Cup. And we, we tried maybe four or five times. The closest we got, we got beat by Holland in the final and penalties after a 2-2 game, funnily enough. Um, but then I, I went home for a few months last last summer. And in the second attempt, my brother Mike and I, we, we achieved it. We beat Belgium 2-0 in the final. And the emotions, obviously it's not like Scotland have scored a real goal, but it is there. When you take the lead late on in the semi-final, that you're out your seat roaring and cheering. It really is flowing through your veins. And I remember when I was younger and a bit more immature than I still might be these days, I got, when I lived with uh, one of my old pals, Kieran, the guy I just mentioned a minute ago, uh, and Gav, uh, I was beaten three or four times on the trot with Scott when I was Scotland in the flat, and I, I went to bed because I was in such a mood. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just took myself away from the living room, removed myself from the situation, and, and I went through to my bed for the night because I couldn't stand the the, re, the reality that I was continually losing games with Scotland. And this was back uh, uh, the qualifiers for 2016, so we would have had Maloney and uh, all that sort of players in the squad. Um, but yeah, that, that is the immense joy I get from winning with Scotland on FIFA. Uh, really, as a, as a love of mine, as, as a Scotland fan, Andy, can I? That is scarily, scarily similar to you know uh, Finlay Marks. You guys are familiar with mm-hmm. Finn, Finlay Marks, and he's he worked for Totally Football Show in Copper 90s. Well, he's 
my best mate. I was he was my best man at my wedding. Mm-hmm. And so 2019, Finn used to play throughout uni. It was like two, early 2000s. The same thing, only it was Pez. It was Pro Evo. It was better than FIFA then, and then it kind of yeah. switched. And uh, we had... <laughs> Finn is like a stand-up comedian, right? If you've ever heard of it. He's absolutely hilarious, right? So the whole room listening to him, but his opening line for that, which had the room stitches, was, it's been a long time coming. You know, there's been many ups and downs for over five or six years old this thing and yeah. he's of course I'm going to say and Andy and Esther got together or whatever and he's like but I can, I can finally reveal that last night and this is a true story night before my wedding Andy and I finally won the World Cup with Scotland <laughs> 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 the room was just decimated like that was, that was just aye, absolutely hilarious and he got me for my wedding present he got me the formation we played <laughs> 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 It was it was all the nicknames we had for the players. <laughs> it was like, and I love Gary Neesmith, but that was like Gary Mayhope in the wing. <laughs> and uh, Weirdo was one of them as well, classic. But uh, And everybody had a nickname apart from Gary Caldwell, who was just Gary Caldwell, full name. <laughs> it. It's, it's, uh, it's funny, Andy, you, you'll, have, you'll have experienced this as well. And another mate of mine that I used to do it with, we used, we used to go out uh, and air. Uh, Club de Mar uh, every Easter Sunday on the bank holiday and the the tradition was that I would go to his after I had Easter lunch with my family I'd go to his at maybe five six o'clock we'd start drinking probably a two litre whatever a bunch of beers and we would try and win the World Cup with Scotland and arranging the groups is great fun uh, because I always I always tried to make it that we would get one powerhouse like Argentina or Spain or whatever a nation of of quality that probably just better than us I say just better better than us like Sweden or Mexico or something like that and then one that is of a similar level Australia something like that to, to really kind of give us a wee shot in the arm and then when it comes to selecting your squad you actually thank God we're not doing it for real because you deliberate for quite a significant amount of time who who you're going to take <laughs> in and out um, pick is oh, do, no we don't need a third right back oh, no let's take let's take Lee Griffiths instead like, it's it's really it does mean a lot in there uh, to make sure you get it right. It's great fun, absolutely great fun. This is a whole different podcast, by the way. This yeah, is yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Pairs or FIFA memories. But, but, but again, though, you know, I feel like that almost it taps into the desperation for success over the last twenty-three years because that is what we've been limited to. You know, yeah. I was the exact same that my I, I was always a pro ev fan as well growing up, which obviously. I've been a Pro fan since it was international superstar soccer when it was only international team. And again, that probably helped me form that emotional bond with the Scotland team because that's what I was playing in video games. So I'd seen them at the World Cup in 98 on TV and then I'm playing with them in video games. I don't know if you guys went to the same extent that I did where I would even take time to arrange the groups in the World Cup so that it was the exact same groups as World Cup 98. <laughs> as I've done that more than once. I'm all for um, simulation, man. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's <laughs> got to be realistic. It's got to be realistic. Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, as well, then when I, when I then got to university and then graduated into playing football manager every year, that was always my tradition. Every year I'd get the new football manager and the first team I'd play with was Scotland. And that's how I'd get used to the new game and get used to what worked, what didn't. So the amount of qualifying campaigns I've gone through, successful and unsuccessful with Scotland in football manager is is unbelievable as well. So many, right. many good memories there. Of course. Um, right. We're now back round to you, Gordon, for your number three. Yeah, absolutely. So with this one, I've kind of I've I've got a little bit broad, but I guess I can, I can bring it into some specific examples, and it's just 
part of this is really down to the the nostalgia that I'm reminiscing because we've not been able to do this for so long. But it's going on away trips with Scotland and just some of the absolute characters you meet away on your travels. Because the one thing that I love about the Tartan Army so much is that everyone's there for the same thing. Everyone's part of the same group. And it doesn't matter if you've met someone before or you haven't, because within two minutes, it's like your oldest friends and you're sharing things that you never thought you'd share or people are sharing things with you you never thought they would share. I mean, geez, some examples. I mean, one guy I met in Germany after a couple of minutes was very earnestly telling me about everything that got he got up to in the red light district the night before, which was uh, maybe a bit too too much information. <laughs> but you know, and then another example was when um, again actually when we were we were in Germany for the Euro 2016 qualifying, the first one in Dortmund. Most of the Tartan Army stayed in Dusseldorf because it's, it's a wonderful city to be in, and mm-hmm. then got the train through to Dortmund, which took about an hour, hour and a half. And myself and two of my friends, we got on the train and then we just found another group of Scotland fans and we all sat together and just, we never met each other, just got chatting. And then we spent the entire hour and a half journey. Everyone's having a few beers and everyone just takes turns to chip in stories, funny memories, anecdotes, and just that entire journey. We're all just in tears laughing. I mean, one guy telling the story about how he, You've ruined his kilt by getting back very, very drunk on a Scotland trip and going to the toilet and not lifting his kilt. Oh, no. on the toilet And just <laughs> defecating all over his own kilt. Which <laughs> was absolutely incredible. Oh, dear. Um, and then actually, when Andy was talking about the, the YouTube video of the, the Darren Fletcher, Stephen Fletcher chant, which I was fortunately was able to be part of, which was something else, it reminded me of another YouTube video that I've seen, which I think was in Denmark or maybe Amsterdam, where you've got all these Scotland fans, they're all congregated out in a town square, and it just so happens that one of the shops uh, in the square is a Victoria's Secret. And all the Scotland fans, they're all doing the kind of, Ooh, and then when a customer <laughs> leaves the shop, they cheer. <laughs> and it's one of those things the same as the Darren Fletcher, Stephen Fletcher chant, is that it's completely harmless. It's just really fun. Nobody's getting hurt. And I think that, again, is the kind of vibe of the Tartan Army, that it's just everyone can have a great time. And you can watch that video on YouTube, and the people are a bit nonplussed when they come out, but once they realise, they all have a laugh, <laughs> and then they walk on. And simple as that. You, so, you could make yeah. a podcast on this alone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, right, Andy, number three for you, mate. I'll, I'll, I'll be quick then, because I think Gordon's kind of picked up on this. So kind of, I think everyone's got their own routine. That we're creatures of habit, so like we always park the same place. We always walk up. You know, we'll take it in turns whoever's driving because I'm I live in Stirling. So, um, I will the walk to and from the car. But we need to have pints at Monford House. So I don't know if either of you go to Monford House, but. I'll, I'll see you there if you do. <laughs> um, that's where we chose to go, and that's where we go. And we always sit at the same table in the corner. Do you know what I mean? It's me, my mate, Barry, and my mate, Colin, I should say, and sometimes my brother. Because my brother used to go with his mates, and now he joins us, which is quite nice. It's like come full circle. Uh, and then a bite to eat on the way in. Andy, you picked up on this. So, like, you're just you're just hungry. I've come straight from work. I've had a couple of pints, and, or I've had to watch other people having pints if I'm <laughs> driving. So I'm desperate for something to eat, and I agree with you. I think I think the food could could use a wee mm-hmm. a wee uh, facelift and quality lift there. Yeah. That would be quite nice. But um, we always get a McDonald's on the way home. Always get a program. All this stuff has to happen, which mm-hmm. for me is just really interesting because, like, 
uh, I, I work with kids with autism and like people think that autism is so different and you're like it's not different at all really we all we all just want certain things to happen at a certain time yeah. and if they don't happen then we don't feel as comfortable or secure yeah, yeah. or just happy it's you the right know? way so, or the wrong way yeah and when these things happen maybe sometimes we just have the words to to verbalise that we're not happy about it do you know what I mean <laughs> as, like I'll tell my brother we're going to Montfort House um, but aye something like that Radio Scotland in the way home and the thing that stuck oh, out yeah. to me was quite funny is like I've got a mate who see if we lose if we win he's the happiest guy in the world right but if we lose he's an absolute nightmare and won't speak and he'll just be silent and he'll refuse to get a McDonald's so like <laughs> it's just things like that that are really funny and, and he'll sit in the corner of the car and just not I'm kidding yeah. no kidding not speak mm-hmm. for like an hour until we get home so which to I, him makes perfect sense that's the thing that that's the thing with these <laughs> yeah. little obsessive things in your life you know mm-hmm. they, they just make sense to you and no one else can understand but yeah yeah totally yeah, yeah, yeah. i bet he regrets that when the smell of the chips and the burgers or the chicken slicks is drifting <laughs> through the car you know <laughs> yeah. I think his sadness just comforts him in a strange yeah. <laughs> way it's just like hold on to that well you, you, you touched on radio scotland there actually andy that, that's a that's a really big part of the routine for me Getting back, if, I, if I'm when I lived at home before I moved up to Glasgow from Troon, uh, it would be my dad in the car, and I would always quite like to get back to the car quickly enough so I could listen to the post match interviews and listen to Richard Gordon and the guys debrief and dissect what would seem good or bad. Um, don't get to do it as much these days, and I'll come to that for one of my dislikes, um, because I, for the reason that I now live in Glasgow as well. But for Radio Scotland, one of my third love is is Scottish commentary over Scottish goals. Uh, and this isn't a dig at Ian Crocker, uh, and it was Bill Leslie before that, um, because they are good commentators and, and they do it really well. I think it maybe is a nostalgia thing, because the guy that inspired me to try and pursue a career in commentary was one of them largely was David Begg, and he's absolutely master commentator. Uh, and his commentary over McFadden in Paris is, is one of the, the best bits of broadcasting I've heard. And before that, and we had Paul Mitchell as well, who was very prominent with the Scotland team when it was on BBC. Rob McLean back in the day when I was a young kid too. And I, I don't know, I, I'm not going to go as far and say it sounds more authentic um, because I think that Crocker and, and Bill Leslie before him are good commentators and, and I think they want Scotland to win. I don't buy any of the bias sort of stuff that gets thrown their way. Um, I think they are good commentators. But there's something just extra special to me when it is maybe David Begg's voice back in the day or Paul Mitchell's over an iconic Scotland moment. Uh, can't really put too much rhyme or reason to it. Again, it's just a thing that it just resonates with me. Um, I don't know if it's maybe because that is the profession that I'm trying to to make it in and it means a bit more to me. Yeah. Mm. No, I'm totally with you. I think Paul Mitchell in particular, like his, some of his sound bites are going to live long in the memory. Mm-hmm. Um, like McFadden and stuff like that, for, for instance. Yeah. And, yeah, it just just incredible, incredible moments that like we forever tied to these guys' voices. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, 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 absolutely, yeah. I mean, I mean, there was a spell of a, at least eighteen months, possibly two years, at university that my ringtone was Peter Martin's commentary. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So every time my phone rings, it was like McFadden drags it down the long way. Yeah, there's a, there's not too much else I can say on that one. It's just a, yeah. an observation that that warms the heart, I suppose. So those are nine things that we enjoy about being Scotland fans. Let's move on to some things that irk us. Andy, you said that 
these were dripping out of you a bit more easily than the ones that you enjoy. So I'm interested to see shocking, what you've got. Shocking, isn't yeah, it? Mr. Mindset, Mr. Yeah. Positivity and like negativity was just flowing. <laughs> no, I'd, I'd love being a Scotland fan, but these came more easily, I guess. Okay, well, why don't we start with you this time then? Uh, what is the first thing that came to mind when I asked you, name something obscure that annoys you about being a Scotland fan? Well, this, right, so this is obscure, but it's kind of negative, but it's also a positive, so I always try and look for a positive. <laughs> um, right then, and it's it's based off a trip, a football trip we did, actually, again, for good friend Stagdu, right? So we went to Berlin, and... Um, the, I don't know if you've been to Olympus Stadium, but it's an incredible like spectacle. And then the way up to it, like in Promenade, like it's the old Olympic Stadium, obviously, and you know it was built by baddies. We know that, but it is also based in the Colosseum, which again they were kind of baddies as well. Anyway, it's it's an impressive spectacle, and I guess in the colon is it colonies? Is that what you call it in the way up? Um, there's just stall after stall after stall where you can get a beer, where you can get a currywurst, where you can get like or something like that so my big gripe and it has been for years is why if we're the best fans in the world can we not be can we not have like a fan zone a designated fan zone outside because there's so much good fan media I mean you've got Hamden Door and Tartan Scarf sitting right here you know like wait we're desperate to create and we're desperate to participate and just have a good time and like who doesn't want that do you know what I mean it's, it's one of the big disappointments about the Euros not having that because of COVID, you know, like, because I've said to the girls for years, see when it hits, we're going no matter where it is, and you're just going to soak up whatever city you're in. And it happened to be Glasgow, you know, and I was like, oh, brilliant, you know, we get Glasgow's just going to turn into a different place like it was with the Commonwealth Games, like, but more so. And um, I just, that's my my biggest kind of gripe, is that we don't have a Tartan Army fan zone, designated fan zone. We could have, like, a Hamden Roar tent tartan scarf you know like you could do so much I'm, outside i'm loving this um but like be, one uh, of the things I'll be, I'll be i'll be headlining the pyramid stage <laughs> <laughs> but like do you know why not just that, that boy who did uh, sorry his name's gone out my head but he's it's your theme music for your pod scott a scott mcgill yeah i get him in a stage do you know what i mean like the yeah. like the liverpool boy does when you when he gets in a stage with a guitar do that yeah um have a scots abroad kind of section like but, you know, that kind of thing, just a place where we can all give out stuff. Anyway. Where, where, where are you envisaging this? Are you envisaging it, envisaging it um, kind of between the the West End and, and Lesser Hamden or over in the main car park or even in the city centre? I think there's kind of multiple spots would be, would be brilliant, but I think one person who could answer this much better than I is kind of Laura Brannan, so she talks about it an awful lot, and mm-hmm. um, I, I, I think that would... That would be absolutely brilliant for me. I think there's so much space, like where Tory Glen is, you know, like t- towards that side and the walkout. I mean, people are just coming in, they might get a burger or something like that, but open it up, you know, yeah. like make it a whole big thing, have music going on, have literature yeah. handed out, have poetry, have, have everything going. You, would, you um, would certainly you would certainly like to think that now that the now that the Scottish FA own Hamden outright, they will have more flexibility, they will have more leeway. To implement some plans like that, yeah, because yeah. certainly back back when the conversation, when the debate was happening about staying at Hamden or potentially moving to Murrayfield, obviously I was very much in the Hamden camp because I felt like you don't know what you've lost until you break that that mm-hmm. connection with history, and yeah. that is a 
that is arguably one of the things that Scottish football has got going for us more than anything. You know, we are the original international football team alongside England. But the one thing that was potentially in Murrayfield camp was just Murrayfield has so much open space around it for things exactly like that, for fan experience mm. stuff, for all that jazz. So fingers crossed Hamden can do can bring some of that well, now the Scottish FA on it. I, I, I nearly had something that might contribute to this in my uh, obscure dislikes list, and I'll say it because I, I took it off the list in the end. Um, I wonder if the changing kickoff times um, impacts on the ability and the demand or drive for that, because it's no longer Saturday, three o'clock for a qualifier or uh, when guaranteed Wednesday on a mm. on a seven forty five kickoff. Now in, against Scotland, they're playing Thursday, Monday instead. Now not even a not even a Friday night. So I, I don't know if they mm. if if they can't regimentally guarantee that there's going to be enough footfall or traffic to make it worthwhile which would be a real shame I th- yeah I think it's one of these things though that like it's like Wayne's World like if you book them they will come <laughs> like if you, if, you, if you make it awesome people are going to go out their way to take the day off work because well, you could go even you know, if you didn't have a ticket ah exactly exactly so yeah. God, and then the next time you're thinking I'm desperate to get a ticket I really want to go you know so and one thing I would say if it's okay just on this is like I think like mental health's a huge deal and an album art we speak about it quite a lot and the importance of recognising it. And I just think even like a mental health check-in and check-out would be really helpful for us all. Like mm-hmm. if you've had too many and you're going home angry, that's not really good. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like just having a safe space that you can pop in and have a wee chat or something like that would be really cool. I know a counsellor who's up for it, do you know? So yeah. like it's all these wee things that just the fans could do it for the fans and mm. Yeah, I think it would be it would pull up attendances, and it would just give. It would be so good as a visual aid to just saying we're the best fans ever. Look at what we're doing, you know. Yeah, Gordon, we're round to your second obscure dislike of being a Scotland fan. Hit us. Yeah, so when I was thinking about about this one, I it, a lot of things came to mind, but I think one thing that does really frustrate me about being a Scotland fan and I guess this is just maybe just the cyclical nature of life in general, is that there always seems to be the same debates that come back time after time after time endlessly. And I, I just, I just, life's too short. I just can't be bothered anymore. Honestly, I just don't even want to engage with them. I mean, a couple of examples, the the Kieran Tierney, Andy Robertson debate. I don't care. I don't care. We play both of them. End of story. That's it. Finished for me. But the one I really, I really want to talk about that just annoys me so much is the conversation about eligibility for national teams because some people have such a bee in their bonnet over where that player is born, who their parents are, who their grandparents are, should they play for us, should they not? And honestly, I don't care. If they want to, I, I've, I've said before, you know, we discussed this at length when, when Shea Adams was linked with the squad because that, again, brought the same debate rearing its ugly head again. But my rules are always, do they want to play for Scotland? Are they eligible? Will they add something to our team? If it's yes, 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 that's good enough for me. And frankly, the debate just bores me to tears. The Andy Robertson, Tierney one, Gordon, is that not a worthwhile debate? No. As in, as in, as, as, not as in one or the other, but yeah, yeah. How, how, how do we maximise them? Because the, Tierney played on the right for some stage. There was, yeah. there, mm. there is potential uh, and certainly worthwhile debate that Keaton Tierney is very able as a left wing back. Uh, mm-hmm. th- these are, we, we seem to have found a groove with them now, but was it not worthwhile for, for a stage? 
I, I think it. I think it probably had its moment for sure. But I, th I think it, it, it probably always had to end up this way because when you've got two players who are as good as they are and as talented and as intelligent as they are and are as good for their club teams as they are, you can't have one over the other or the other over the one because they have, that means you have one on the bench the whole time who is an outstanding footballer. So I felt like it was always going to end up with finding a way to play both of them in the same team. Mm. I think the left-sided centre-back and the left wing-back, it seems to be the best solution that we've got. So frankly, yep. I no longer see any worth in that debate anymore. Mm. Eligibility one, I think certainly uh, is more frustrating to listen to because the rules are there to to be well taken advantage of, I suppose. <coughs> but if if you've got a player, let's look at it from a different angle. Not Martin Boyle because I think he probably would have been on the cusp of a squad if he'd committed to us. Mm. Harry Souter, okay, he scored again for Australia the other night. Probably doesn't have a long term career with Scotland, mm -hmm. so. It's fine for him to go and pick Australia. He might not feel that Australian. He might not have been brought up um, wanting kangaroos for pets. But I think that if he recognises he's not got a long-term international career with the country of his birth, then he can look elsewhere. Same with Shea Adams. Same with James Morrison of bygone years. It's totally fine, Andy. Yeah, I think, well, we, we covered both these things, Gordon, so I, which I know you know, but like um, we've chatted in depth about it and uh, I just, we, we looked long and hard at the whole Robertson tyranny thing and I'm not, I really am not saying that I told you so, not at all, because it was just saying what was right in front of us, but Tierney had been playing left centre-back for Arsenal really well and Robertson can, is such an intelligent player, as Gordon alluded to, that you could see that you know, very quickly they would get it together because they're such, I mean, they're both world-class players, let's be honest. So they have to play. It's not a question of going, uh, they can't. Uh, they're both intelligent enough that we should trust them and grow into that. And lo and behold, now they look amazing, you know. So I think, like, I can understand that one, Gordon. I kind of tap out and just post a link to our thing, not saying it's the right <laughs> answer, but it's, it's at least a, a, a response, you know, that's tried to, to look at it carefully. And the thing the thing with the national identity, I think we're very similar thinking there, Gordon and Andy too. It's like we've it's it's how you feel, you know, cultural national identity is fluid, I think. And we're we're used to other identities being fluid and and, and that's important to to recognise that people feel and think that. So when it comes to national, all of a sudden we think that we need to come down really hard and guys who, like you said, just want to, they're eligible and for all we know, they really do feel Scottish, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think absolutely. the best example for me is like Richard Goss, who was what born in Sweden, raised in South Africa, didn't move to Scotland until he was 18, but looked very Scottish and had a <laughs> Scottish name, so, you know, he got cut a lot of slack, um, whereas he probably feels South African as well, you know? I don't know, I'd need to speak to him, but it's, it doesn't really matter. It's not my place mm -hmm. to judge how Richard Goff feels or how she Adams feels. Is is how I would think it. You know. I think after a, being involved in a couple of camps, the attachment can very quick attachment can very quickly form as well with a player who maybe hasn't grown up feeling Scottish or particularly persuaded towards dark blue. That when they come uh, and try it out, for some, it, the heartstrings don't develop. Maybe like Tom Kearney, Matt Ritchie. In the end, didn't really fancy it, I think. 
but some obviously will develop a strong bond with either the manager, the fans and the country and the, their squad mates and they mm. do end up feeling Scottish regardless of where they were born. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And, 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 and again, you know, nobody knows someone else's story. Nobody knows where they've come from, what they've done, how they've grown up. I mean, and a lot of people, and I think football fans, I guess everyone in life can be guilty of just making really quick assumptions about people. You know, I remember, you know, when Scott McTominay was first called up and people got to look at him and listen to the way he speaks and thought, oh, he's English. Do we really want him? But you listen to Scott McTominay speak about his story and his upbringing. And it certainly seems like while, yes, he may have been eligible for England, there was only ever one international team he was ever going to play for. And that was Scotland. So, and you see what it means for him when he pulls on dark blue and is, it's actually one of my favourite photos of the celebrations uh, after uh, Marshall saved the penalty in Belgrade when all the pl- all the players are piling on each other and McTominay just sort of breaks away and he just lets out this guttural scream at the <laughs> air mm. and his, all his sinews are pulsing and it just that's what it means. I mean, try try telling try telling him he doesn't fancy it for Scotland. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Stuart McCall, born south yeah. of the border with a. <laughs> an accent that belongs in Emmerdale. And he was called up for the England under-21s and time-wasted on the touchline so that he didn't get put on. Because that would have have left him uh, ineligible back then to to get called up for Scotland, which is... I I listened to that um, episode, the interview you did with him, Andy. It was brilliant, but... Oh, yeah, he was a good guy. Good guy. Yeah. I think think this comes out, because obviously our background, whatever, to work with children who... And some adults who are like deaf and registered deaf, and it's so interesting the way they view the world because obviously they don't hear accents, the distinction of accents. So the way that they judge people, um, or it's completely devoid of that sensory experience. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting how much emphasis we place in these things that really aren't that important. Yeah, you know, a fair point. Um, yeah, I'll throw I'll throw my first dislike into the the mix because it's similar to a debate thing Gordon that you raised but I don't think you actually covered that one there on your first one the the calling up of form players versus uh, players that a manager consistently picks or trusts and then complaining about it when when he does what you ask for so for example uh, let me just go back I'm just going to pull players out my arse here right it's not a it's a hypothetical situation so let's say that uh, Declan Gallagher and Liam Cooper were having nightmares for uh, Aberdeen and Leeds next season and Scott McKenna was having an absolute stormer for Nottingham Forest uh, consistently month on month week on week and people are saying oh Declan Gallagher and Liam Cooper called up again for the qualifiers. They've been dreadful at club form. Why do we keep? Why are they getting picked? We should be picking form players. And then McKenna would get put in the team, who's been on great form at club level. And people say, "What the fuck, Scott McKenna? Why is he in the team?" So there's a balance to be struck between uh, consistently performing for your country, even if you're not performing that well at club level. And I, I will point towards Ryan Christie for a current example, right? Always turns up for Scotland. He's had a relatively poor year for Celtic. Goal count, not as high. Not influencing games as much. And part of a, a rubbish team. But when he's played with Scotland in the playoffs last year, scored the goal, and then again in March, looked like his old self. So for this summer, 
I hope that his form over the season with Celtic isn't taken into account and people look at him for what he's capable of with Scotland rather than how he's performed for Celtic because for me they're entirely separate things. Well, the player that always sticks out to me, he's not Scottish, but um, uh, David Healy for Northern Ireland and Kyle Lafferty for Northern Ireland. And we're not like, OK, we have an amazing array of talent at the moment, but it wasn't that long ago that Northern Ireland were making tournaments and we weren't. So I think if you're going to learn anything there, it's about the, you know, I think Kyle Lafferty was top scorer in that. Championship, but like playing for Palermo, or <laughs> I don't know where he was in his journey at that point, you know. But he certainly wasn't bagging the goals. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you in that one. I think there's there's a lot to be said for how they feel within the camp and how easily they can um, just kind of. And who who knows? Maybe they've been asked to play a totally different role for their club, and you know, for the qualities that they have when they come into the international setup, just yeah. for whatever reason, work. Um, I think, yeah, I think I think certainly that, that that was one of the biggest frustrations of being a Scotland fan through the kind of barren barren years of the noughties was, you know, Scotland fans were always desperate for there to be a silver bullet player that if we get this player in, then we'll win the games, then we'll qualify, and you know we we always you know I think as human beings we we always like to think that life's big problems have very simple solutions so. You know that then meant that there was always this clamor for the guy like Andy Singer that was the flavor of the month who was on form, and Jordan Rhodes was one of those. Ross McCormick had spells. Stephen Fletcher had spells. That so long as also oh, if we could just get him in the team, everything would be perfect. And I think often mm. because of that pressure from the fans, and then that would turn into pressure from the media. I think often Scotland managers were then led by that because you then saw those players come in, get a couple of caps. And then fans would very quickly decide, oh, no, no, he's not the answer. Someone else is the answer. Bin him, chuck him out. Mm. And you would like to think that as a team and as a country, we have kind of moved beyond that a little bit because Steve Clark does have a very consistent starting 11 and guys like Ryan Christie, who maybe haven't had such a great season, or even Ryan Fraser, who has barely played for Newcastle. His, his playing time does not merit going to the Euros, but how he plays for Scotland does. And that consistency selection is, has been a big part in our success. Mm. Yeah, I just thought I'd chuck that one in. It's actually the third one on my list, but I thought I'd chuck it in considering we were talking about selection. We're back to you now, Gordon, for uh, for your next one. Yeah, now I'm I'm almost reluctant on this one because I am I'm not naive enough to think that you know uh, that, that this could change or really would change, but it is a real shame that that Scotland games are not free to air television. That that is a great shame, mm. and you know, there's 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 the saying that got bandied about as a sort of big marketing slogan. I think it was either at the Women's World Cup a couple of years ago. You know, you can't be what you can't see, and it's all about you know, inspiring a generation. And you can't inspire a younger generation if they can't see role models and see inspiration that they can then follow in the footsteps of. And yes, obviously, Sky put an awful lot of money into Scottish football and have done for a very, very long time. And that has had massive benefits to Scottish football. But the way that so many youngsters, especially, have then missed out on getting to watch Scotland play football games if they haven't been able to get to Hamden physically or watch it on television, I think that has lost us a lot of fans down the years. And that is arguably my, my biggest hope of what we bring out of this this mm -hmm. summer is that we'll have had games on free-to-air television at a major finals that 
you know, you talk about inspiring a nation. Well, that is literally what it will do. I mean, that that is my origin story as a Scotland fan. It was nine years old watching us at France 98 and being able to see us on TV because we didn't have Sky in the house. So yeah, that that's a big a big thing for me. And it, it's a it's unfortunate. I know it won't change, but hopefully this summer can can be a massive jumping off point for a lot of people. I would like to think that there would be a way to do both. Um, like for for what happens for the Champions League final, for example, BT will put it up, but I think for a long time, ITV will have had it as well. Um, so I don't know why. Obviously, well, it must come down to contracts and rights, and I'm not business or financially minded, so I've no idea. But I would like to think some sort of agreement could could be met that would allow Sky Sports to keep the rights, but not exclusive rights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the, I, I'm not financially minded either, but what strikes me is there's all, not a day goes by and it's, we laugh about it because we're quite good at laughing about it, but it's really annoying at the same point. It's like just the, the inaccuracies that Sky continually like bet you. Do you know what I mean? It's funny, but it's kind of like, oh, seriously, come on. Like mm-hmm. Dundee and Dundee United are two different teams. Like get a grip, use mm-hmm. the right icon, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I would like us to have our own Excellent media, if I'm if I'm honest. Uh, that's it's, what I would it's, like a, to it's, a, it's a good point, Gordon, because uh, again, I think it comes down to a nostalgic aspect for me. And I think sports scene do a pretty good job, very good job actually. After Scotland games, they normally have a good forty minute uh, highlights program, even if it's just one game, um, taking a look at what's happened, and, and they they put their, their all into that, and I, I like it. But for me, having it live um, with the voices. Well, it'll be different now because we grew up with different voices in the current teenage generation who will only know Ian Crocker and and uh, Dave Jones or whoever it is as the presenters, uh, Ailey Barber now. But there's something, again, comforting about, in my opinion, that what the BBC used to do with the Scotland Games when it was Paul Mitchell, Rob McLean, David Begg and, on the radio, you know, just kind of yearning for, strangely yearning for an unsuccessful time for the national team yeah, and bring it to, to what we've got now. No, absolutely. You know, and again, you know, you you can read the reports that that go on that the that people in UEFA are getting very uh, concerned about about the the actual viewing figures on television for Champions League, for example. They've been going down year on year for quite some time, and especially among a younger demographic. Yeah, and that is causing great concern. But but then, is is that necessarily a surprise? Because for certainly for us, you know, we can remember a time when. Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, there'd be Champions League and one night it would be on Sky and the next night it'd be on ITV. So yeah. we would get to watch Champions League free to air. So for us and our generation, the Champions League means an awful lot because we got to watch it. So mm-hmm. funnily enough, once it went behind the paywall, that that did the accessibility went away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Andy, what's your next irritant of being a Scotland supporter? <laughs> well, I was, I was, do you want a kind of a whimsical one or do you want a slightly more serious one? What do you think? Uh, we were pretty, we were pretty serious there. We were getting <laughs> nah, so, so. So let's go. I'll give for you, I'll give you a light-hearted one then. Yeah. Right. So the, I'm not just wearing this top for the sake of it. Right. Often I, I'll wear a Scotland top because I have many of them. But this one in particular, I think, is the greatest Scotland top ever made. So World Cup Italia '90. I think it's I think it's perfection. Not just the Scotland top score, but just as football top score. <laughs> I, I think it's absolute perfection. Um, and it kind of got me thinking. I'm like, we'll see if you've discovered perfection. Like, I'm talking about the whole kit, so you've got the white. So, I love Scotland tops that have got that kind of dark, kind of moody blue. Shouldn't be a bright blue, dark, moody blue. And then you've got like white shorts and red socks. 
that's the way I think it should be mm-hmm. forever. So I'm like, if you've discovered perfection, then why would you try and reinvent the wheel? And, you know, see when we go all play kits, as nice as they might be for other nations and things like that, I, I miss the Red Sox mm-hmm. with, a, with a blue trim. Yeah. I think, like, that's so smart. I think that's just that's just Scotland, do you know what I mean? That, to yeah. me, um, and particularly growing up in the kind of late 80s was my first kind of memories. And, and through the 90s, we certainly... We, it, it wasn't until the tartan kit that it was like, oh, it's all blue. What's, what's that all about, you know? So, um, yeah, that that would be my my gripe, is that we have discovered absolute gold. <laughs> Why have we departed from it? We should just have the Italian right top forever. That's it. Well, that takes me on to, to away kits then, because I also considered this, Andy. I, I think that we might be similar in the way that in a football kit, less is more, you know? No, oh, no frills, I, no spills. You just want something that is... It's fairly simple. Um, it's not desperate to catch the eye, and I've had a few problems with Scotland away kits specifically. But I, the I was not a big fan of the white one that had the pink and the yellow stripe on it. Was not really bothered about that. Uh, Gordon, this might rub you up the wrong way. I wasn't <laughs> asked about the neon pink one either. Uh, was not really a fan. And the the current home kit, I'm not sure about the the frequency waves that run across the the breast. I think that it's going to be forever the kit that we qualified for the Euros in. But again, I'm just, that's about unnecessary. Just a, a nice, simple, dark blue kit. If it's Adidas, give us three stripes on the arm uh, or whatever. It's just, just kind of keep it simple uh, and try not classic, to overkill classic. a football kit. Yeah. Mm. Clean, classic. Yeah. Yeah. I, to be honest with you, I, I think that's again something that I, I love about international kits is that you don't have, it's not plastered with a sponsor logo that then ages very poorly like a lot of club teams do. So it, it, it does look, a lot of international kits do look quite classic from as soon as they come out. Um, but no, I, I will absolutely, I, you know I'm going to disagree with you about those two away kits because I adore them both. Um, <laughs> so I won't go into that for sure. Um, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying that it, it's actually a UEFA thing that UEFA prefer to have kits that are basically have the same base color between the shirt, the socks and the shorts because they've got really bizarre rules on kit clashes. So I'm pretty sure that's why they've started manufacturing like that. Cause you are right. The, the, the classic Scotland look that we've had so long is blue, blue top, white shorts, red socks. Yeah. But did we, did we not, not, not too long ago we had it though, didn't we? I'm sure I watched a video of Robert Snodgrass and I kept, was it Theodora yeah, made it? Yeah, not, so not, was not, it, too, not long too long ago. ago. We have had it, but I, I, th- I think UEFA are trying to move. Was it the one with the big white from. collar? Levine? Yeah, was that, yeah, one, that, yeah. That, that was that way, yeah. yeah. Red Sox, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I agree with you, Andy. I think you're right. Um, again, I think we're just traditionalists here. <laughs> well, I'm all, I'm all for exploring things, right? But just don't don't mess with the greatest football kit of all time. It's just, it's just, it's just unnecessary. Hey, I, I've got my next dislike for being a Scotland fan. And this is not one that is vague or broad and can be um, related to supporting a club team. I hate, after a Scotland game, the queue for the Mount Florida train. See, you've got to see... <laughs> I'm amazed, I'm amazed you haven't figured this out sooner, but the trick is, and that I've done this for basically as long as I've gone to Scotland games, is walk to Queen's Park. I went That's to I I went, Queen's Park. I, I went to, I've walked mm. to King's Park, I think it is, once or twice. Mm. Not no, no, Park, because yeah. because the thing the thing you do, because because obviously they, they have that massive queuing system where they've always got the police on horseback. 
that to get you into Mount Florida, but and the police basically they won't let them overfill the trains. So what you do is if you walk to the next stop on the route, which is Queens Park, the train will come and it won't actually be that busy because they've not let it get that busy in Mount Florida. And I've I've basically never failed to, to get on a train at Queens Park with basically no queue. Every day's a school day, Gordon. Thank you. And the, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said I, that. You know, I, I go <laughs> yeah. for that too, though, because my brother, my brother-in-law, I remember against Lithuania, we won, he won. You know, um, Michaelunas dived and all that. Yep. It was <laughs> the, the, um, and it was such a sunny, day, beautiful day, and we had the same problem. And my brother-in-law, every day's a school day. He was like, "We'll just walk into town, get a pint in the way." It's like that's genius. Yeah. It's like. A nice walk, you talk about the game and then you get a pint and halfway, you split it up and you're on the train before you know it. So, yeah. There are a couple, it's not so bad when we've won, right? But my my memories of it are normally, it will be raining, probably dark. <laughs> and we'll have been, I remember one that sticks out, it was the night that Wales beat us 2-1 at Hamden. Uh, did Ramsey score maybe? I think Snodgrass Snodgr- was sent Snodgrass off. Snodgrass got sent scored a header, yeah. Um, yeah. That night. And it was just grim, really, really shite. And there, there was another one as well. It might be in the same group when Belgium, this was when Belgium were really starting to peak and everyone was taking notice of them as a world-class team. And they beat us, t- it was only 2-0. Uh, their fans were amazing that night, actually. It was just before the 2014 World Cup. Uh, De Bruyne and Dries Mertens scored and De Bruyne was absolutely frightening. Uh, and that night, I remember the chat just filtering through the queue of everybody kind of respectfully and somehow patronisingly as a Scotland fan, acknowledging that Belgium were going to be their team for the World Cup. Like that was the that was the view. Like oh no, they were absolutely world class tonight. You know what? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna support them in the World Cup. And you had to appreciate the way that they turned us over. But that again was just a a lesson and a grim reality of where we stood at that point and then literally having to stand in the rain and wait for, for the train for what is probably an hour uh, when spirits are shite it's just uh, it's not great and thank you for bringing to my attention Gordon the the ways around it well, there you go you're very welcome uh, right back to it's back to you now Gordon your third one is that right yeah absolutely yeah so just this last one again this is kind of a bigger thing but hopefully again something that we're, we can start to leave in the past now is that i I've, I've been to about i don't know 10 or so away games and most of them were absolutely fantastic um but certainly towards the end of my time going to away games i had started to notice there was a real real sense of apathy maybe doesn't quite describe it but just almost just grim acceptance that we weren't going to win and we weren't going to compete, which I just found so defeating because surely the whole point of going on these trips and following the team home and away is that you want us to be successful. You want us to win. And I mean, the trip under the trip to Slovakia under Gordon Schracken um, early in the World Cup 2018 qualifying campaign, I think that was actually my last away game. It just the atmosphere just seemed bizarrely muted all the way through, because you usually on away trips, the atmosphere before the game is the best, because that's the build-up, the atmosphere, and everyone's singing and getting up for the game. The atmosphere afterwards is usually a bit crap, because if we haven't got the result. But this trip, it was the exact opposite, where before the game, it was just a bit drab. And then we go through to the, to the game in Ternava, we get turned over 3-0. And then on the bus on the way back, people are getting the party tunes on. And I'm just sitting there, kind of fizzing a little bit, because I'm like, what are you guys playing at? Like, the bus to there was quiet and no one was really that up for it 
But as soon as we've gotten beat, that's when you can relax and have a party and have a laugh. And it just completely flew in the face of everything that I wanted the Tartan Army to do and that it was to be successful and to support mm-hmm. a team that was good. And obviously, mm-hmm. hopefully, like I said, hopefully we're now leaving <coughs> that in the past because we do have a competitive team now. But yeah, just that level of apathy just really pissed me off. I think it's called drowning sorrows. <laughs> it was almost before that though because it was almost like there were no sorrows it was almost like oh well that's that oh we've done that bit of the holiday now we're yeah. back to having a laugh and it, yeah it's that kind of our, our lot in life type thing isn't it and I, I'm totally I know we've spoken yeah. about this before, before going off, off air but that kind of that there's it's very closed and final that mindset yeah. you know it doesn't go anywhere it's, it's just like very predictable that's the thing it was almost like yeah. they, they just shrugged it off as if it didn't even affect them but then at the same time, they're, they're paying, they're taking time off work, so you can, you know, if they're going to have a wee drink and stuff, that's fine. But I, I don't know, I know what you mean. I think it's more emblematic of like, oh, well, it's our lot and we're going to get beaten most of the time. Whereas now yeah. I think we can compete most of the time, you know, which is absolutely brilliant. But yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, your last one now, Mr. Ling. Yeah, okay, I, I will be I will be quick here. Um so you've heard that before, haven't you? But, <laughs> right, here's but this is it, right? And this might be unpopular with some people, but I don't, I don't care. So thanks very much. My wife's just brought me a drink. Um, the stand up if you hate England slash Diego Maradona chant. I don't like it. Um, I don't, I don't like either of them. Um, so I, th- I think being defined by your hatred of another country is like the lowest. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Um, yeah. So like I think there's there's an intense rivalry which is totally fine, and like me and my brother-in-law have that. He's very proud to be English. He knows that he'll be watching it in our room. He stays up here in Stirling, so he'll be watching it on his own. I'll be watching it on my own. We won't talk, and then we'll talk afterwards. Do you know what I mean? There's like a, a healthy <laughs> rivalry, but hatred just doesn't come into it. So I used to feel awkward about that growing up because it was still sung in the nineties. I've not, I don't hear it as as much anymore, do you know what I mean? Maybe in the pub beforehand, but stand up if you hate England, I'm like, oh, nah, I don't want my kids hearing that, do you know what I mean? I don't want them to have to feel like they need to do that. Um, to be Scottish, I think that's a load of nonsense. So, yeah, I'd like that confined to the annals of history. I think what it makes that, maybe, well, certainly I align my thoughts with you on that one, is that I don't necessarily think that England fans, and maybe some can send me a clip to prove me wrong, I don't think in the middle of one of their qualifiers against Team X, Y or Z would chant stand up if you hate Scotland. I think it's. I think that for a long time, I think we've maybe had an, a bit of an inferiority complex that they've been going to tournaments every four years, sorry, every two years, and we've not, uh, and it's grated on us and the supporters because we've had to just deal with misery for so long. Uh, and I think the more successful we become, the less that we'll hear of that thing because I think we've just been looking for any reason to try and tear them down and as if they'll be bothered by us singing Stand Up If You Hate England when they're too busy qualifying for tournaments. Yeah, I I, I totally agree. It is, it's such small-time behaviour and I think the, the thing that really sort of opened my eyes to just how small-time it was was when I went to university and I met a mate of mine who, who's a very close friend and still to this day who's from Newcastle and he was absolutely taken aback at just how much kind of anti-English stuff he got thrown at him. Because as far as he was concerned, he'd basically never given Scotland a second thought. And I think it's when you realise that that's where the power dynamic is, that it is such a small man thing that, oh, 
we care we seem to care so much more about that, that rival, rivalry than they do like they've got bigger fish to fry in the mm-hmm. grand scheme of things in world football they're thinking about germany they're thinking about argentina they don't really give a thought about scotland and i think Unless, once you realize that you can align it to a lot of things so gordon sorry to interrupt your mm-hmm. flow there like i hear growing up in Ayrshire that air united fans care a lot more about the Ayrshire derby than Kilmarnock fans are desperate to beat them i think because mm-hmm. kelly have spent the last 30 years or so in the top flight i think yeah, yeah. back back when Man City before they got absolutely minted. The Derby, I think, meant a bit more to, to yeah. the club in general. It's, rather, not it's small man syndrome, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But I think now, hopefully, we're at the stage where we don't need to to put our energy into that. No, there's so much to be like positive about, but not just like mindlessly. So it's like yeah. we're talking about Gilmore and Patterson at the start. Those boys would challenge to get in anywhere that they reached their their exceptional talents. Like so, yeah. You look throughout our squad, just what you were saying about Man U, Chelsea, Liverpool, Arsenal, mm-hmm. all being right about Arsenal, you know, like, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I, historically a huge club. Um, it's nice to see them represented and like, actually, John McGinn's maybe only Aston Villa's second best player after Grealish, you know, Tierney's Arsenal's best player, like Robertson's right up there with Liverpool. So it's not like these boys are just squad players. Mm-hmm. We have an excellent side at the yeah. moment and a lot to be proud of yeah we'll, we'll round off the pod with with my third one i think i actually mentioned this the other day uh, it was lewis that was on the pod um that day and actually my friend lewis who's one of the media guys at the sfa i queried him why the goal music has changed because i really hate that bits and pieces is our goal music now um <laughs> over and it's not because i think bits and pieces is dreadful I mean, it gets you up for it, and it, it's quite a good laugh, isn't it? But I think that 500 Miles is, is Scotland's goal music, and for me, should never change. Yeah, I actually I actually listened to that podcast. Um, actually, bizarrely, um, first thing Saturday morning, my fiancé got up at the crack of dawn to get to her mum and dad's house to start preparing for our wedding. So from about seven o'clock in the morning until breakfast at nine o'clock, I was just in, in the room with basically nothing to do. So I sat and listened to your episode of the Hamden Roar <laughs> to get me through that morning of my wedding. Um, and yet I, I, when it got to that bit about speaking about the music, I, I couldn't agree more that I do remember it, it was a, it was a public vote among Scotland supporters club members that led to bits and pieces being selected, which came as a surprise to me. I'm not sure I'd even actually heard it before the, uh, before it was selected. I think I'd always rather potentially have no music than any music. I think just that that moment of just the fans and the, the atmosphere and the cheering, that feels so real and so visceral that you don't need to artificially pump it up with music. Um, but I think something I would say, sort of just jumping off that point, is the music that Scotland walk out to at the start of a game. Now, for several years now, it has been dictated to us by UEFA FIFA that it has to be the official anthem of the Nations League of qualifying of whatever it is. <laughs> what a lot of shape. But there was a time, there was a time that I can remember when I first started going to the games in that Euro 2008 campaign that sure. we could choose the music we came out to and it was the it was the beat the beat drop of Insomnia by Faithless. Oh, and just yes. there's something about that campaign when obviously there was so much positivity and confidence in the side that the crowd, when, when they announced the team's coming out, the volume would go up and then Insomnia by Faithless would kick in and the volume would Aye. go up even higher. Yeah. And they had those fireworks that would make those screaming noises and just everything about that 
would just whip the crowd up even more. So yeah, 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 the, fo- yeah, the yeah. footage of that from the night of the Italy game is incredible. It is, yeah. Like that is that is genuinely goosebump material when you watch it back. Yeah. They had, I think, we were all thinking the Italy game there because they yeah. had the you know the the brave heart speech as well. And you were just like, I will do anything for my country. <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> uh, oh man, how did we lose that game anyway? Yeah, <laughs> yeah growth mindset. That, that'll do for me. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the insomnia by Faithless is, is a classic for that. Um, it kind of flies in the face of what I'm saying about bits and pieces because they're both kind of electronic, techno, dance sort of tunes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm not saying that Bits and Pieces doesn't have a... Like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a lot more iconic, of course. And I'm not saying that Bits and Pieces is, uh, doesn't have its its pros, but yeah. in, the, in that column should not be Scotland's goal music. The 500 Miles for me is a lot more iconic nostalgic I suppose traditional again we come back to that but the, uh, <laughs> but I just think that and again Gordon I, I agree that the music shouldn't go on three seconds after the balls hit the net it should be kind of towards the end of the celebrations when the players are heading back to the, their own half uh, and everybody's kind of soaking in what's just happened uh, when the celebrations have died down after 30 seconds or so I think that's the perfect time to bring on da, 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 da. yeah because yeah, okay everyone loves it man you know Hi. Oh, actually, actually, can I can I can I just I know, I know we're trying to wrap this up, but can I just bring in one more gripe because this is you've just reminded me something that always <laughs> yeah. boils my blood at Scotland games. How many times have every Scotland fan that goes to Hamden? How many times have we all heard five hundred miles by the Proclaimers? Hundreds, if not thousands, of times. <laughs> then why? Why do hundreds, if not thousands, of people inside Hamden go to the go to the chorus after the first verse when you don't? You go to the second verse. <laughs> oh Amen. my goodness! That's like, a good way. In. Every time, every <laughs> learn. It's not complicated. Oh, sorry. Yeah. That there's my fucking great right. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're spot on with that. Yeah. That is that is bang on. And you'll always have, you'll always have a few in the crowd going. I'm assuming you're one of them. I notice it as well. Um, that as they get to the end of the first verse before the yep. da, 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 is skipped for the first time, mm-hmm. you, you you know it's coming and, mm-hmm. and you're getting annoyed by it before mm-hmm. it comes up. Like people are going, they're going to break into it. They're going to break no! into the chorus. And there it is. Fuck. <laughs> to be fair, it's usually some guy with his eyes rolling in the back of his head who's at least six pints deep. He's <laughs> <laughs> just heard this proclaimer music he's heard forever and yeah. that's him. Aye. Look, that was that was good fun, lads. Great stuff uh, suggested there by everyone. And I'm pleased because we didn't coordinate this before the podcast, but when, when myself uh, and Andrew McLean and Ben, I think it was, uh, no, no, it was Lewis, uh, that we looked back at our favourite Scotland goals, we made sure before the podcast started so that we didn't bring the same suggestions. Yeah, but no, yep. well, tonight we didn't do that. And we've had, God, I don't even know the maths. Someone do it for me. Like, 27 suggestions, is that right? Something like that? I don't know. Whatever. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> a dozen, a dozen or two suggestions um, to the table and not one repetition, which was uh, which is of uh, great relief to me. So great stuff. Um, yeah, and the next pod we do will be this weekend, which is looking forward to the Czech game on Monday. And we'll have a think about who we want to see in the starting lineup, and we'll give that a lot more focus than we, we did at the start this evening. So, Andy... Great debut. Thanks very much for coming on. Gordon, always good to have you. Thanks a lot, Andy. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. And make make sure you all listen to the Tartan Scarf podcast with the Czech expert because you'll get a good insight into their team. They are not confident. So enjoy that. Sports Social Podcast Network.